You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone, super excited to bring you Steve Olsher today from Podcast Magazine. I actually met him in Clubhouse. We're hanging out, listening to each other, just the little micro interactions really help you get to know someone. And now we're actually hanging out, doing a podcast together. Steve, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Great. Appreciate you having me, brother. Yeah, thanks for being here. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, there's a lot of different things here. I mean, there's Podcast Magazine, you're previously at liquor.com, and then you have a book behind you. What is your what? So maybe, I mean, let's let's hear a little bit about your story, kind of who you are and what got you to where you are now, because you've done a lot of different things. So 30 plus year entrepreneur, started out way back in the day in the music industry in terms of being a DJ, born, raised in the Chicago area, and I've always been a Chicago house music and a house head there. So I was spinning house music, man, and just loving all that fun stuff. Opened up a nightclub uh, as a result when I was 19. It was actually a non-alcoholic nightclub, of course, being 19. And that really whet my appetite for being an entrepreneur. And man, without boring you to death, because I know we got a lot of ground to cover here, man, but I ended up doing things in the catalog world, launched a store on CompuServe's electronic mall in 1993. So we launched, launched online really, really early. That became one of the first fully functional e-commerce sites in 95 when we built that from scratch. And then that became liquor.com when we bought that domain in 98. So I ended up filing the S1, ready to go public in March of 2000. Everything imploded, of course. Walked away from nine years of hard work, walked away from the domain. Sad days, but you got to pick yourself up, keep going. Ended up diving into the world of real estate and did real estate development for a number of years. Developed about 50 odd million dollars worth of property. Commercial, residential, real, uh, just commercial. I mean, you name it. I think we did it over the years for sale, for rent, et cetera. And got caught up in that bubble. Ended up having to reinvent once again. And then I started going down the road of coaching and speaking and podcasting and trying to help others avoid a lot of the same trials and tribulations that I had to endure in my life in the hope of really helping them avoid a lot of the brain damage you know, that I had to endure and figured out what all that looks like and how you can really hit the ground running in terms of figuring out what you love doing, what you're good at doing, what you get paid for. And put that in the book, What Is Your What?, which I think we'll probably talk about here in a minute. And just really bullish on the whole world of audio, man. And founder, editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine now. And I've been podcasting since 2009. And I just just love elevating those who have the audacity to share their voices, right? So lots of different iterations of myself over the years, for sure. And that's a key word, right? You constantly iterated because you went through, I mean, those are two tough moments. And then you went into kind of the coaching and speaking arena, but then you went back to kind of jumping right back into potentially a third tough moment, right? Can you walk us through your psyche going through that? Because I mean, it's, it's three decades of, of grinding it out, right? A lot of people think it's, you know, kind of all sunshine, sunshines and flowers. So what was going on through your head for, I mean, freaking 1999, right? Or 2000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to tell you, when, when things are going well, it's really hard to see the alternative. Like, I mean, business is flowing. We're doing millions of dollars in revenue. I mean, it's these are the best of times, right? Jeez, the stock market's at all-time highs. Sound familiar? Um, you know, like everything that's going on. And you just lose sight of, of reality. You just think that those good times can can last and last and last. And not that they can't, but I just think that that experience and the crash of, of real estate in 26, 2007, 2008, you know, right in there, depending on where you were in the country, just really opened up my eyes to the fact that 
you know, we have to operate in ways that, that fuel our soul, of course, and do things that we fun, uh, find to be fun and creative and so on. Uh, but we also can't put blinders on to the realities of preparing for what ifs, you know, and, and what if that carpet is pulled out from under you? What are you going to do and how are you going to survive and what's that going to look like? So I don't know how much detail you can go into and you can feel free to just say pass. So how well was the company doing in 2000? I mean, you guys filed your S1, right? So, you know, yeah. how well was it doing? And then what happened after? Because I remember there's a liquor.com that reached out to us maybe four or five years ago to want to work with us. Sure. So liquor.com, interestingly enough, let's put date stamps on us. So March of 2000 is when we filed the S1, ready to go public. Prior to that, we had brought in what Wall Street wanted to see. Wall Street told us, hey, you know, you're a 20 something year old kid. We need to see more gray hairs. So we need these lettered saviors to come in the CEOs, the CFOs, the CTOs, the WTFs, you know, all these people that, you know, frankly, in hindsight, we didn't really need, but that's what we were told. And we were so blinded by the dot com light that we were like, mm, okay, you know, just all the promises of this, that, the other riches, the whole, I mean, just everything, right? And so we bought it hook, line, and sinker. And when we couldn't get out because the markets dried up, it was just very clear pretty quickly that they just didn't know really what they were doing. I mean, when you have money, everything's easy. When you don't have money and you need to bootstrap it and try to figure things out without a couple of dimes to rub together, that's when you really separate those who are good, like your expertise, man, in terms of marketing, right? I mean, like you could sell ice to, to Eskimos, man. You know, like that's that's a gift. That's a skill. That's something that, Frankly, when you have the luxury of capital, you don't have to be nearly as scrappy. You don't have to be nearly as creative. And so for us, it just was like lights turned on. Like we were sitting in a dark room and the lights turned on. It's like, Jesus, who, who did we sign on here with? And I literally walked away from that company and said, I can't work with you guys. You know, I just, I just can't. And, and you know, intuitively, man, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You know, even before we signed away the management rights and, and it's like, you got to trust that, that hit, man, when you get it. Same way now, it's like with Podcast Magazine. Like I knew if I didn't do it, somebody else would. Same thing with Clubhouse. Like if we weren't on here, you know, doing what we're doing, somebody else would be doing it, right? So anyway, I literally walked away from everything, including the domain that I owned personally at that point, but it was part of the company. I had so many mistakes. I can't even begin to tell you how many zeros I left on the table. But I ended up tracking it down to a guy in the country of Panama believe it or not, in uh, late 2006. A lot of back and forth, and I ended up reclaiming the domain. And then once again, made the bonehead move of saying, you know what? I'm in Chicago. This whole dot-com world is like a Silicon Valley thing. So let me find a Silicon Valley team to take us to the promised land because the New York people couldn't do it. So maybe the Silicon Valley people can do it. Right. And unfortunately, same kind of thing. Spent years and years and years with them. And every single day, man, I would fight with them about would you just sell freaking something? Like they wanted to build this as a pure ad play, you know, with brand partners and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I don't care if it's a freaking t-shirt or a glass or an ice tree, just ice tree, just sell something. And we ended up not doing great on the exit, to be completely honest with you. I never saw a dime, you know, I haven't said that publicly, Eric. So there you go. You got the coup on that, man. The scoop wow. on that. By the time we got all said and done paying the investors after we raised everything that we had raised and paid them first, another huge mistake. I didn't see a dime on that second iteration either when we sold it to uh, Barry Diller's IAC. But I got to tell you, he had a huge opportunity there. I had a huge opportunity there. And it's like, 
You know, you, you take, you can only get so many shots at the target. And that was, I think that was God's way of telling me, look, you're done with this, with this one. We need to move on. Got it. I think, so I do want to move on to the book, but one final question on this for, for now would be, you worked with a Silicon Valley team. And then previously you had worked with this hard gun executive team, right? How have those experiences kind of, you know, guided you into how you think about putting your team together now? Yeah. So first and foremost, the, the most important lesson learned is you can't hire someone else to raise your baby. It's just as simple as that. And I'm not saying that you can't delegate. And I'm not saying that you can't give people freedom to help build whatever it is that you want built. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is at the end of the day, it's really hard for anyone to have the same vision and the same passion for what it is that you've created Look, I'm not going to sit here and say it can't happen, but it's never going to be quite at the level of your enthusiasm and your passion for what it is that you've created as an entrepreneur. And so that's really the biggest thing for me, man, is, is you just can't hire someone else to raise your baby. When you sign away your rights or you try to become two hands off on it, it will become the representation of their vision, no matter what you do and not yours. And if you really believe in yourself and you really trust your instincts, and I've been, I've been spot on with my instincts for decades. Problem is for me, man, is I've always been too early. I have always been too early and I give up on things long before the market actually catches up to kind of where I'm at with things. So I get tired of hearing myself talk about it long before the majority of the market really understands what it is, right? And so that's kind of the blessing and the curse. And I would say that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned overall. And hopefully I won't make that fatal mistake again, sir. Yeah, that's helpful. I mean, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being vulnerable. So also there's a little element of maybe trust, but verify, right? With whoever you're going to have run your stuff. Let's talk about your, your book a little bit. What is your what? So what inspired you to do it? And what is the core message around? What is your what? There's three what's right there. So what is your what? Discover the one amazing thing you were born to do is really what, what I hope to be, you know, and I plan on doing other things in my lifetime, don't get me wrong, but I hope it to be some, somewhat of a legacy piece in terms of really helping the average Joe and Jane figure out how they're naturally wired to excel and what truly puts fire in their soul. Because the modalities that currently exist, the what colors your parachutes, the strengths finders, you know, whatever, Myers-Briggs, I mean, you, you name it, right? All those modalities that exist, they're, they're good, they're fine. But I know for most of my adult life, I've struggled with that question of, you know, why am I here? What, what is it that I'm really meant and made to do? And having taken a lot of those tests, if you will, and gone through a lot of those modalities, they really just left me with a lot more questions than answers. And so around 2009 or so, as I began to come out of that real estate crash period. And, you know, I, I came out fine. You know, I'm not, not, you know, I'm not asking for the tiny violins here to play me any songs, doing just fine at that point, but definitely became clear on the fact that I had been chasing commodity driven opportunities for a long time. And, and I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to create commodities, you know, because if you think about it, like right now, I mean, I'm drinking a can of San Pellegrino, right? Like there is an aluminum company out there that somebody has created a multi-billion dollar business of creating aluminum cans, you know, so be it. There's a place for that. There's a place for commodity oriented opportunities. And sometimes those are fine. 
What I'm very clear on, though, is that my days of chasing commodity-oriented opportunities ended when the dot-com crash hit and then second with the real estate crash, right? And so as I began soul-searching and really trying to figure out, okay, fine, these didn't pan out. What can I do? That's where I started really down the path, Eric, of teaching others about business and, and trying to just save them from some of the trials and tribulations and brain damage that I had to endure. But as I began teaching them about business, what, what I really found is that the question kept circling back to the same question that I had, which is, what do I do? How am I naturally wired to excel? What should I do with my life? And so what we figured out just in those workshops, which was called the reinvention workshop, for years, what we kept seeing, kept feeling, and kept feeling over time and time again, is if you don't have those foundational pieces in place, you can build this big giant skyscraper on top of it, but eventually if the caissons aren't you know, poured deep enough and the foundation isn't put in place in the right way, that thing will come toppling down. So what I realized is, and working with all of these people, that it really just boils down to three things. And these three things make up the what is your what framework. Very simply, you need to have clarity on what your core gift is, which again, represents how you're naturally wired to excel. As you can see on the book cover, it's the DNA strand, right? As I like to say, your what has chosen you. It's not that which you have chosen. And so your gift is in your DNA. It could be the gift of communicating, of teaching, of enrolling, of protecting, of healing, of entertaining, whatever it might be. There's a set of about 35, 40 gifts or so that we've identified. That gift will stay with you throughout the course of your life. But the other two pieces of the puzzle are more organic, they're more fluid. That's understanding the primary vehicle that you will use to share that gift, and then also understanding who the people are that you're most compelled to serve. So it's the combination of the gift, the vehicle, and the people that make up the what is your what framework. And so ultimately, if you can solve for one piece of the puzzle, and most people will go a lifetime without being able to solve for one piece of the puzzle, let alone all three, it can make a dramatic difference. And so at the end of the day, that's really what the book is about is helping people identify their gift, their vehicle, and their people, or as I call it, their what, and understanding then because of my expertise and background in, in marketing and sales and entrepreneurship, how to then share that and monetize it. And the three pieces really go hand in hand, gift and then sharing and monetizing it. That's what I've become really quite good at over the last decade or so. Got it. Yeah, I love that. It, it's super clear. And you just gave a really practical example. I, I guess I'm wondering if, let's say I'm 15 years old, 20 years old, and I'm reading this book, is it too early? Is there a timing thing with this book or no? Well, so let me go through this quickly because uh, well, I know we want to get to more here in the conversation, but there's basically four paths that each of us are on. There's the path of the birther. The birther knows out of the womb really who they are and how they're wired to excel. These are usually like the musicians and the actors and the entertainers, like those sort of people. They just, they just know who they are. So if this 15 or this 20-year-old knows who they are and they just know how they're wired to excel, then maybe it's just a question of understanding what's the vehicle that they're going to use to share that gift and then who the people are that they're most compelled to serve. The second path is the path of the shifter. And this is someone who just needs to make like a subtle adjustment to the equation and then everything really falls into place. It's like the key to the treasure chest, you know, unlocks and the thing opens and, oh, you know, angels saying the lights glow. So maybe you're clear on what your gift is, maybe you're clear on what your vehicle is, but maybe the people that you're serving aren't exactly who you want to be serving. Like for example, there was a woman who came to the reinvention workshop. Coming in, she was pretty close to feeling like her life was where she needed it to be. She's a little bit older. She was a nurse. And so she had been a nurse for like 30 something years. So it was very clear right out of the gate that her gift is healing. She's a natural born healer. 
And the vehicle that she was using to share that gift, of course, then is nursing. But it was the people that was a little bit off because she was working in a general hospital. But it turned out as she went through this exercise and started writing some things on the board, that when she wrote the words disadvantaged elderly on the board, it's like everything hit home for her. And she realized that instead of working as a nurse in a general hospital, she really wanted to be working and was most compelled to serve the disadvantaged elderly. And so that's the example of a, of a shifter, which is kind of a subtle shift to the equation. And that makes all the difference. The third piece is the reinventor. That's the third path. I mean, you got to do like a complete 180. And then the fourth path is the wanderer. And these are people who just go through life and they never really get to having clarity around any of this discussion because, I mean, we don't really talk about it around the dinner table. They don't do a good job talking about it at school. And I don't mean it in a derogatory sense, but most people will just kind of wander through life and they'll hit their final days and it'll be what it'll be. So the 15, the 20-year-old, Eric, long answer to your question, depending on where they're at, it may not be too early at all. And for some, it may be too early and they just have to go out in life and start figuring things out. And you know, the reality is your gift is static. It stays with you throughout your life. But the vehicle that you choose to use to share that gift and the people that you, that you are most compelled to serve, those two pieces change over time. And those are more organic and fluid. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm just looking over the notes. The, the birthers, the wanderers, the shifters, and the, the reinventors. There you go. You get to decide how you want to take your life, right? So what has the book done for you? I mean, New York Times bestseller. I mean, you did this with Wiley. I mean, how has that experience been? What has it done for you? Yeah, man. You know, I, I'd like to sit here and say that having a New York Times bestselling book just simply changes your life. In author land, they say you write the book that you most need. So for me, that's how it's changed my life. I wrote the book that I most needed. And for me to be able to check in on a consistent basis and have clarity around, am I leveraging my core gift? How am I sharing that gift? And am I actually working with the people that I'm most compelled to serve today in this moment? It's a great way to check in. And if something is kind of off, then you just look at one of those three pieces and you go, okay, this is where the disconnect is. So for me, it really gave me the framework that I was looking for. Got it. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, it's clarity and that clarity is valuable because you have it for the rest of your life, right? So yep. that's awesome. Okay, so Podcast Magazine, let's talk about that. When did you decide to start Podcast Magazine? And you know, what is all tied to that, right? Because it sounds like you have events and it sounds like you have a bunch of other things going on with it. So I was sitting in an event myself. I was sitting at an event in October, 2019. And as I was sitting at this event, you probably know Brendan Richard. And so Brendan had an event called Influencer. And for easily a year before October 2019, he was talking about releasing a magazine called Influencer. I was like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. He'll sit down with influencers. He'll put them on the cover, do features inside. They're influencers. They're going to share the fact that they've been featured in this magazine. And he'll build his list. He'll build his cred. You know, the whole, And I was just like... Mm. That's pretty damn smart. And so I forgot about it, forgot about it, forgot about it. And then I went to this event that he had called Influencer in San Diego, just down the street from us here. And, and I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pop over here. And he had one small sign somewhere talking about Influencer Magazine coming soon. And I was like, why the hell hasn't he done this yet? Like, it's a great idea. And I'm sitting there in the audience, man, and I'm going, wait a minute. Why isn't there a magazine about podcasts? You know, and you can say podcast, well, hell, even you can say podcasts are, are, you know, kind of passe at this point with Clubhouse and everything else that's going on. We might have that discussion. We might not. But there are some people who will just say in general, like magazines, they're a dying breed. Why would you want to do anything as far as a magazine is concerned? Like, that's a stupid idea, right? 
as I was sitting there, it just kept coming up for me and coming up for me. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. What do you do, right? When you get an idea, you go to your phone. So I'm sitting there in the audience. I look at my phone and go, podcast magazine. Pod-. Somebody had tried to do something a while back. Didn't look like there was anything current with it. Okay. Well, what do you do next? You check the domain. Okay. Podcastmagazine.com. Is it available? No. Somebody had it. I was like, hmm. All right. Well, I found out who had it. Started doing some email. Ended up getting the price, which was like $2,250 for the domain. Wow, good price. Well, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, if it was $500, you know, no brainer, no big deal, right? But I was like, it was just enough to give me pause. And I was like, do I want to do that? Do I want to grab that domain? And earlier in the day, Brendan had talked about his mastermind. And I'd given serious thought. I've worked with Brendan in the past and I like Brendan. He spoke on my stage before and, you know, good dude, really smart dude. So I was thinking, you know, maybe I want to join his mastermind and get involved in this. It was like 25 grand or whatever it was. And I emailed my right-hand person, Kelly, who runs our companies here. And so I just, I was talking to her, WhatsApp, whatever. And I was talking to her and I was just like, well, what do you think? And she's like, what do I think about what? His mastermind or doing podcast magazine? Like, that's easy. You know, we do podcast magazine all day long. If you were going to spend 25 grand on that, let's throw, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand at this and let's see what happens. So I was like, well, okay, easy answer. And so literally in that moment, we said, you know what? We'll push 10 grand out at this. We'll take a flyer with it. And let's create something, though, that's not really for podcasters, although we thought podcasters would read it. We thought, you know what? Let's take more of a Sports Illustrated type approach. Let's take more of a Wired Magazine type approach, right? Do for tech what Wired did for tech. Do for sports what Sports Illustrated did for sports. Do what, you know, for celebrity what Vanity Fair did for celebrity. And take people beyond the microphone and deeper into the lives of the podcasters that they love and want to know more about. And let's do our best to really level the playing field by introducing the audience to podcasts that they're not familiar with, but definitely should be listening to. And that was the original concept. And from October of 2019 to the day that we launched our, our first issue, which is like 140 pages, it was good. So it was only going to be like a 30, 40 page thing, Eric. It ended up being 140 pages in the first issue. It was 100 days from the day I sat in that chair to the day that we launched the first issue. Wow. There, there's obviously a lot of logistics around. I actually, I mean, right before this interview, I was talking to a, the founder of Founder Magazine. So he did the magazine. Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. So um, that was interesting. And so it's 100 days. You hustled to get this out. Where are we at right now? I mean, again, here's the question again. What has it done for you, right? So people want to know because yeah. magazines seem like a no-brainer because it's like, t- he made the argument actually right right before we we started talking. He's like, dude, arguably the magazine, you get more authority from that versus a book. Well, I mean, the, the reason why I think you get more authority. All right, let's let's dissect this for one second. So here's the fundamental question every entrepreneur has to be able to answer. That fundamental question is, what conversation do you most want to be part of? And you have to be able to answer that in one or two words. Like, if you can't answer that in one or two words, you are way too scattered. And I've learned that the hard way, okay? So when we made the decision that the conversation that we most want to be part of is podcasting, we can answer that in one word. What I knew to be true, Eric, is that there was no way on God's green earth that I was going to be in that conversation. Think about it this way. If you walk into a conference room and there are lots of different tables and there are different topics going on in each of those tables. So there's 20 tables, there's a little table tent, there's one word on each of those table tents, marketing, finance, health, spirituality, whatever. You have to choose what table to sit at, right? 
two physical objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. You can't sit at multiple tables. Kurt Lewin's approach, approach theory of conflict says, if you have to choose between two equally attractive options, which do you choose? And you can only choose one. So if I can't do this and I can only do that, which do I do? So if I can't sit at the table talking about marketing, but I can sit at the table talking about podcasting, which one am I choosing? Right? Same sort of thing. So once we made that decision that podcasting is the conversation that we most want to be part of, well, that's when things got really, really interesting because now we have to figure out how do you become the hub of the wheel for that conversation? How does your name and your company come up in that conversation even when you're not sitting at the table? So if somebody's talking about podcasting, there's 10 people around the table and somebody's like, you know, you got to do blank, 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 blank. I want them to say, you got to check out what they're doing in Podcast Magazine. Or you got to check out Steve Olsher and his team, right? That's, that's who you want to go to. They've got the answers. As you look at it and you think about a bicycle wheel and how all the spokes are connected to the center, the hub of the wheel, how do you become the hub of the wheel? I knew that I didn't want to be one of 2 million podcasts, right? And I knew that I couldn't get people like Adam Carolla and Dave Ramsey and Katie Couric and you name it to answer our emails about coming on to reinvention radio. Great show. They don't give a shit. Right? They, they don't care. They're not coming on a reinvention radio. They don't care. As soon as we launched Podcast Magazine, I'm sitting with Jillian Michaels at her house. I am on the phone with Katie Couric. I am at Dave Ramsey's office getting a tour from Dave, right? Like all of that stuff happened, but it was because we made a, a very distinct, clear decision that podcasting is a conversation that we most want to be a part of and that we need to figure out how do we become the hub of that wheel, that all of the spokes, whether you're a podcaster, whether you're in the industry, whether you have a network, you want to be a part of what we're doing because there's a certain cachet about having the rolling stone, if you will, of podcasting, right? Yeah. I think that makes all the sense in the world. I'm surprised. I mean, in the this, this software as a service world, you know, you have, there's two players doing it and you have founder and then now you're doing this. I feel like I was just telling Nathan, I was like, look, what's old is becoming new again, right? In many cases, direct mail, you know, magazines yeah. and things like that. So let's say I wanted to get started with the magazine. So where should I go to get started? Because I mean, I'm just thinking about all the logistics around yeah. it. I'm like, it seems like a pain in the butt. Well, it is a pain in the butt. <laughs> so, and, and, I, and I will be the first to tell you that we print about 1% of the total copies in terms of our circulation, our subscription numbers, right? That goes out. So we don't print very many copies at all. I mean, we've got about 40,000 subscribers right now. So it took us about a year and we're at about 40,000 subscribers. Okay. So only about 400 or so actually go out um, in print. So that's number one, because print is really expensive, right? Digital is where you want to be. It, that's scalable. It's sustainable. You want to focus on digital. The reason why we print about 200 of them is because we get about 200 of them in the hands of influencers in the industry. You know, the Conal Burns of the world, the people that are running things as far as the world of podcasts are concerned. So we want to make sure that we get a physical copy into their hand month in and month out, which means then we've only got about maybe 200 or so paying subscribers for the physical edition. Okay. So, you know, I just want to be really clear here that the majority of our subscribers come in through digital. So that's number one, go digital. <laughs> if you're going to do anything, go digital, please, 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 please. Unless you've got kind of NAS or somebody like that as a partner, try to avoid print because it's really, really expensive. So that's number one. 
Number two is don't try to do it all yourself. One of the smartest things that we did is we tried to elevate other people in the industry by giving them, if you will, gatekeeper status for respective portions of the magazine. So if you go through the magazine, what you'll see is that there is a category director for business. There's a category director for arts. There's a category director for all of the Apple top level categories. And they have complete autonomous ownership of their categories. So they do the feature article, they do the under the radar review, they do the off the chart selection, et cetera. Goes through our editors and then our editors clean it up and then it gets printed in the magazine. But the only way we get to 140 pages is because we've got 21 category directors who take ownership of those particular sections. So how can you break it down into different elements that would be interesting to your readers is a great way to think about it as well. And then, you know, I'm happy to share, we use Magcast as our, as our, I guess our software as a service, right? Our monthly fee to create the magazine. And we have a designer uh, who does it for us and she's really, really good and she's really, really expensive. But at the end of the day, my hope is always to elevate the industry. And if we're going to put together a magazine that is called Podcast Magazine, we want it to represent the industry in a really good way. So we spend and, and we spend heavily. But yeah, I mean, figure out the conversation you most want to be a part of, create a magazine for it. And then ultimately, the last thing that I'll say, Eric, about this whole process is your ultimate goal is to create what I call a category of one, right? W-O-N. That's how I do it. Category of one. You want to win by identifying where your biggest opportunity and your blue ocean of opportunity is so that you can dominate that respective niche. And I will tell you that with very rare exception, there are opportunities for you to do similar things to what we did here. And you, sometimes you just have to get a little more creative about it. Got it. Yeah. So it, it sounds like, I mean, the benefits, I mean, you are kind of the, in the center of the conversation around podcasting. You've got to meet some amazing people that you, you typically wouldn't have had access to, right? Yep. Am I missing anything else in terms of the benefit? money? Yeah. Leads, leads and revenue. Got it. Right. Every subscriber is in our system now. So Got leads it. and revenue. And the fact of the matter is that we look at the magazine as a loss leader. If you go through it, you'll see we have very few ads. Hopefully that'll change. You know, we'd love to get to the point where 40% of the magazine is, is ads. That would be great. 60% of the magazine is ads. Well, you know, we'll send out Vogue, out of October's Vogue every single month. I'm happy to do that if we got the money to do it. Yep. But the reality is we have, we have clarity around what our profit path is. And so we have relevant products, programs, and services that we can bring to people. And for some people, it's going to be a viable option. So we monetize through other ways. And frankly, you know, if you want to learn about podcasting, if you want to launch a podcast, if you want to do anything in this industry, who are you going to cut a check to? You're going to cut a check to the team that publishes Podcast Magazine because we know this stuff. Everybody else, you know, does pretty good. But if you're given the choice between person A who doesn't publish Podcast Magazine and, and person B who does, you're going to hire our team all day long. Got it. So, Earlier, you talked about, you know, you used the word scattered, right? And I, I think you probably have some unique perspective around this. How do you think about focus in general? Because I, I think you've been through so much, right? So, yeah, I mean, so focus to me ultimately boils down to the old adage of the Chinese proverb, a person who chases two rabbits catches none, right? And so when you think about it in terms of, of focus, what, what I know, and I'm, I'm in a mastermind group with 
I'm in several mastermind groups, but one of the groups that I'm in, in this group is a gentleman by the name of Darren Hardy. And so Darren Hardy was the original founder of Success Magazine. And Darren used a, a really great analogy once when we were talking about, you know, should we do this? Should we do this? Maybe we'll add this, this, and the other. And Darren said, you know, the mistake that most entrepreneurs make is they're forever leaving Coke in the bottle. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you know, if you think about how you drink a Coke and you drink it and you think you're done and then you put the straw in and you get a little bit more and then you let it sit for another minute, you put the straw in and you get a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. He said, there's always more Coke in the bottle. And so what happens is most entrepreneurs get tired of their own creations long before their audience does, right? So the fact of the matter is that there's always room to grow and scale with what you already have. And so what we look to do is we look to exhaust the sales of what we already have and what we're focusing on long before we add anything else. So Podcast Magazine, that's really just a credibility and authority and elevation status builder, if you will. But at the end of the day, it didn't change the offerings that we have and really how we want to be seen. Our ultimate goal is to have people enroll in our Icon Maker program, where we turn people into icons of influence in their respective niche, right? That remains the goal across everything that we do, whether it's a five-day challenge or a quiz or anything. Our ultimate goal is to enroll the right people into our Icon Maker program. And that helps us to stay very, very focused. Because ultimately, the question is, who is the right candidate to become an icon? And where do we find them? And what do we need to do? And I think we've done a really good job now of, of dialing that in. But every business, in my way of thinking, needs one core product. And take that one core product to six figures, take that one core product to seven figures, and potentially take that one core product to eight figures and beyond before you add anything else. If you're, if you're selling it, it ain't broke. So don't fix it. Just sell more of it. That is super powerful. And you would talk about that one offer. I don't think we touched upon it. So what is that one offer that you sell? Yeah. yeah. So again, it's our Icon Maker program. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. So our year-long guidance, accountability, and done-for-you services Icon Maker program is that core offer. Got it. How much does that cost, roughly? Uh, it's 30K as a pay in full or 36 if you need payments. And then I personally work with five people a year as sort of a, a next level of Icon Maker. And that's 75K as a pay in full uh, or 7,500 with payments. Got it. I love that. All right, cool. It makes all the sense, right? It, it's super focused. Like, you know, look, Steve's got the authority around Podcast Magazine. He funnels it to this one thing. He doesn't try to do a million different things, right? There's the entrepreneurial ADD is very real and I've experienced it, right? And so has Steve. All right, so working towards wrapping up here, what is your favorite business tool? Honestly, as corny as this sounds, it's a calendar. And, and I will tell you that most people undervalue the power of a calendar. Love. Tell yourself what you're going to do and you're going to do it. And if you don't, you'll be on Clubhouse with me. <laughs> <laughs> Easy enough. And, and me yeah. too. And me too. And me too, uh, right? Yeah. Favorite business book? You know, I got to go really old school, man. I had a chance to sit down a number of years ago with someone who I have just an enormous amount of respect for, who ultimately passed within about three months after giving one of his final keynotes at my event. And that is Jay Conrad Levinson, who wrote Guerrilla Marketing. And a lot of the 20, 30-something-year-olds you know, may not know this book because it's kind of old school book, but a lot of the principles hold true. And what Jay Conrad Levinson taught in guerrilla marketing, still very, very applicable to this day. And he's one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. Awesome. Everyone, make sure to check that out. We'll drop it in the show notes. Steve, this has been great. What is the best way for people to find you online? 
Appreciate that, man. So we've been talking a lot about Podcast Magazine, backdoor private link to grab a free lifetime subscription, podcastmagazine.com slash free. And if you think that the what is your what framework would help you, we actually give away the entire book at whatisyourwhat.com. And those are two great places to start. All right, Steve, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, man, appreciate you. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.